Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you for all the testimonies, uh, brothers and sisters, and uh, great encouragement. And uh, I don't know how to begin except to say thank you, uh, so many of you, prayers, financial gifts, uh, words of encouragement, uh, so many things happen. I'm, as one of the testimonies said, you have no idea what goes on behind the scenes, but I think you do. I think you understand that because uh, nothing happens uh, just because it happens. I think God is at work, and he's given us a wonderful pastor here at this church that we work under. Um, and very godly deacons in this fellowship, people who are committed to ABS classes that want to study the scripture. Very thankful for the VBTS board. If you ever want to know what our seminary is like, just take one of the board members and talk with them. Uh, We were together four hours yesterday morning from eight to noon, and uh, it's a great delight to be able to pray together, think together, uh, and just uh, ask God to do what only he can do in behalf of the seminary. I think also our, our faculty and staff, I just uh, absolutely depend upon them, our student body. I just Nothing to say to you except God has done it. It is the work of God creating out of nothing uh, something for his glory and his honor. So when Pastor said to you to start the service, you know, we're in 14 countries. I, I just think of that. And 35 different states, so that even at this moment, in all the different time zones in our state, something is taking place with a VBTS grad. And so as we pray together and work together, uh, the goal is not the building of an institution. The goal is the glory of God. And so I hope that that comes across to you. It's the glory of God and what he has for us. And So because of that, I'd like to take your attention to the book of Hebrews. So would you take your text out? And we're going to be kind of flipping through a couple of passages because I want to encourage you uh, with the book of Hebrews. And um, as I do that, maybe I can begin this way. I hold in my hand a little commentary called The Exposition of Hebrews, written 39 years ago. The author just went home to be with the Lord. Uh, He was 89 years old. Went home this year, 2023. Um, his name is Robert Gramacki. He taught at Cedarville University for just over 40 years. He taught as professor of Greek and New Testament. He wrote this book on Hebrews, and I've never gotten over the title since it landed in my hands. And the title is Stand Bold in Grace. Stand Bold in Grace. And then when I open up the very front cover, there's a name there that some of you may know as Ross Olson. So this is his book. And as you go through the book, uh, as I have done, and you see page after page, underline after underline, uh, you understand that it does affect how, as Patrice said, it does affect uh, what you're reading, how you're working through a text, and it's important that you hear proper people as they speak into your life from that text. Robert Gramacki opens up Stand Bold in Grace with a preface. I would like to adapt that preface because I don't have time to read the whole thing. But this is what he writes, opening words. The modern church is much like ancient Israel. They simply survive in their immaturity and mediocrity. In the book of Hebrews, the author exhorts his readers to advance into the full blessings of the new covenant. While many Christians are happy that they have been saved from the judgment of hell, 
the writer wants them to enjoy the total ministry of Jesus Christ in this life. And he warns them of the dire consequences for rejecting the leadership of the great shepherd of the sheep. In fact, if a church member rejects the leadership of the Savior, is he or she really a genuine lamb of Jesus? Would you turn with me to chapter 12 of Hebrews? And we'll be turning back and forth, so keep your scriptures there ready as we just take a few minutes. I want to encourage you with this book. I really want you to leave here and maybe make this a personal study on your own. Maybe you could go onto Amazon and for one buck, three dollars if you pay the shipping on Amazon, you can get a used copy. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Would you mind, if you're able, to stand with me as I read this text in honor of God's word? Verse 1, therefore, since we, the author including himself, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside all weight and sin that so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary, fainting in your heart. Lord, we stand in your presence and we have just a few moments to open up the book of Hebrews to these brothers and sisters. Maybe there are people who are faking their brotherhood. Maybe there are people who don't know Christ as the great shepherd of their soul. I pray that you would help us to be able to think through this book so that the goal is that they want to go home and they want to read themselves and they want to study themselves and they want to mature themselves. Lord, the evangelical church is sleeping in mediocrity. I pray that you would help us as believers to let our light shine before men, that the world would see the works that are happening through us by the Spirit and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Lord, thank you for what you're doing with this fellowship. Would you teach us for these few moments to love this book, It has somehow been sequestered near the end of somebody's Bible reading because I can't understand it or I don't get it. Lord, help us to understand this book in a way that would propel us in our private devotional life with you to grasp so that we might run the race with endurance, not give up. That's this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Jewish Christians, and I think probably in Rome, but the Jewish Christians are struggling in their faith. They have suffered much over the last 30 years in the capital city of this empire. The chaos of the culture, (laughs) the public hatred of the name of Jesus Christ, 
puts them at a crisis of faith. Just turn back to chapter 10, if you will, and look at verse number 32. He responds to what they have been through over the last 30 years living in this capital city of the empire. Verse 32, but remember the former days when, after being enlightened, that's regeneration, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, plural, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and afflictions and partly becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you also showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted with joy the seizure of your own possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession. Therefore, do not throw away that confidence of yours, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Verse 39, and we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. They had been through three decades of challenges, none greater than in A.D. 49 when the edict of Claudius was given in the city of Rome that all Jews must leave the city, leave their houses, leave their possessions, which then are overrun by people as the houses are now empty. You read about this a little bit in Acts 18, where Paul finds himself in Corinth, and there he meets this a homeless couple from Rome. Their names are Aquila and Priscilla. And it says in Acts 18 too, because of the edict of Claudius, they are in Corinth. So this is not a game. This is, this is a life. They have given their lives to Jesus Christ. They're, they're people who want to go hard after the name of the Lord. But there are people who for decades, because of their location underneath the very nose of Caesar, are experiencing incredible difficulty. And they have made it through a number of issues of suffering. I mean, they have done well, but they have now come, for some reason, to a crisis of faith. And so the writer of this book is writing to them, and he's speaking to them about this crisis of faith. And he is saying, I want you to endure. I want you to endure. I want you to keep pressing forward. Don't stop. And the way he does it is exalts the person of Jesus Christ from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 13. He exalts the person of Jesus Christ, and he keeps saying, put your eyes there, put your eyes there, put your eyes on Christ. Not on people, not on governors, not on leaders in the political world. Put your eyes on Christ. So we just read here this very thing. We read it in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So when I think of that, I I think, okay, well, what kind of people or what kind of crises, plural, was taking place so that it would even prompt the writer of Hebrews to be able to write and to um, encourage them. He seems to know specifically what's going on in lives. He's very aware of brothers and sisters. Turn back, if you will. Let's take a look. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Here, here's a crisis of faith that's taking place, at least the possibility of it. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For this reason, we, don't you just love the way the author does that? We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Otherwise, we will do what? 
we will drift away. It's a nautical term. It's a term of a boat in a very calm water, maybe near the port. And somehow the anchors may not have been dropped properly. And somehow, very slowly, this boat is beginning to move away from the port. And so the image is is a strong image that you read here in chapter 2 and verse 1. For this reason, we must listen, must open our ears Open our eyes, open our inner soul to these things that are here. If we don't do that, there will be a drifting. And it happens so slowly. We're not that far from shore. I know I used to be there, but I'm only here. I'll get back there. So when I look at this text, these, these are some of the people that he is concerned about that are within the fellowship that have faced suffering and have done very well. But now there's this crisis that's taking place. And he says, be careful. Stay here. Otherwise, you're going to drift. Turn over to chapter 3. Look at verse number 12. Another term. It's a stronger term. See to it, brothers. He's not speaking to the unsaved. See to it, brothers, there there not be in any one of you, are you ready for this? An evil, unbelieving, without faith, heart that falls away, that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day. As long as it's called today, it's a wonderful exposition of Psalm 95 in chapter 3 of of Hebrews. And here he just lifts out that term, today, so that none of you will be hardened by the attractiveness of sin. So sin becomes attractive to us because we're not thinking properly, because we were beginning to very slowly drift away. And so that which was something we would have stayed away from last year, two years ago, five years ago, we now embrace. It's okay. It's okay, we say to ourselves. But the falling away is a term that is a strong term. The idea is to withdraw, to separate from, to keep away It's what a football player will do this afternoon. He stiff arms the defense. Don't get near me. Stay away. And so when you see people staying away from you who love Christ. See, it could be very well here. I can't say if they're brothers or not. He is definitely identifying these in verse 12 as brothers. I can't say one way or another. But I can say this, that brothers can have an evil, unbelieving heart and stiff arm the living God. That's what the text says. Turn over to chapter 4. Another term. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have, ready for it, fallen short of it. 
This idea of falling short is, a, is an interesting term. It's a, it's a term where you have a, a pack of sheep, and here's the shepherds. There's a pack of sheep, and then behind all of these sheep that are in a, a flock is a straggling sheep back here who's absolutely distracted by whatever he's distracted by or she's distracted by. And over in the corner are the beady eyes of a wolf about to demolish this little lamb who is distracted from being here. It's so interesting to me. There's no need for you to turn there. It's so interesting to me that in chapter 12, he uses this very same term and listen to how he does it in chapter 12. See that no one falls short, gets distracted away from the grace of God. The grace of God. So that when I look at this text here in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, you have these image, this image that is to be created in your mind. Image 1 is a drifting, so, so slowly, so gradual. Sometimes it's called gradualism because so slowly we're just moving away from where we once were. The hot fire that we had for Christ. Our burden to share Jesus with an unsaved co-worker. Our desire to be holy like he is holy. These things sort of faded in the background. And as they fade in the background, we're drifting. Or it could be we're stiff-arming. Or it could be we're distracted. And there is a wolf out here ready to devour. Look at chapter 5. As you look at chapter 5 and verse number 12. Another... All of these are under the in the same house churches. <laughs> Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you. The very elementary foundational principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need of milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word that produces righteous acts. See, what produces righteous acts in in us? It's the word. It's not something that we just wake up in the morning and say, I think I'm going to be kind to my neighbor. (laughs) But the word, that which in chapter 2, be very careful how you're listening or you'll drift. So that the very acts of righteousness are produced and sourced in the word of God. So he says here in verse number 13, So everyone who partakes only of the milk is not accustomed to the word that produces righteous acts, and he's only an infant. Verse 14, But solid food is for the mature, and because of practice have their senses, their, their inner being is being trained to discern, to be able to test and discern both what is good and what is evil. Why are we making such terrible choices? Because we are not following what it says here. What gives us the ability to do acts of righteousness that will be before the Lord benefiting Matthew 5.16, benefiting to people so that God is glorified is the word is changing and transforming us so that our acts of righteousness are being developed and sourced in the word and the word is sharpening our interior so that we literally want to do a will of God and not our own will. I mean, it's amazing what the writer is brilliantly laying out for the people. 
And he does it in a soft yet firm way. (laughs) Captain Olson used to say we need a steel hand and a velvet glove. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is, is doing because he's concerned. On the one hand, it's tremendous that you have been enlightened, that you've experienced regeneration. It's tremendous what is taking place. It's tremendous watching how you have gone through all of this. And some of you, even your, your home was ransacked. So you're out by the edict of Claudius. You come back five years later when the emperor Claudius dies, the edict dies. You come back into town, AD 55, and your house is no longer your house and your possessions are gone. And the way that you responded was incredible. But now, if this is right before Nero's burning of the Christians, that is the book of Hebrews, AD 64, that means that in these five years or so, something has been happening and they're tired of fighting. They're tired of suffering. They're tired of losing my house and my possessions. I'm tired. Of this. So the writer of Hebrews is laying out for us something extremely important. Standing bold in, not ourselves, grace. But let me just show one more real quickly. By the way, this is all introduction. Chapter 6. As for you, Pastor Floyd. Uh, the sad part is it's really true. <laughs> oh boy. Six nine. But we are convinced about you, beloved. Isn't that beautiful? We're convinced about you, beloved. Of things that are better, that belong to salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unrighteous so as to forget your work. And the love which you have shown in his name, having ministered, and you are continuing to minister to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize with the full assurance of hope all the way to the end. You're not done yet. That's what he's saying. You're not finished yet. So that, verse 12, so that you may not become dull. But you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, brothers and sisters, when you look at the, when you look at this whole group of house churches, you have all these different kinds of people that are struggling at this time. And when you look at this, you say, well, are there any going hard up to? Absolutely. Chapter 6, verse 9 to 12. There are a number of people that are, that are hurting, but ministering. So when I look at that, I want you to go to the last chapter of Hebrews, chapter 13. That was just introducing you to the different members of the church who are going to hear this letter. So you go to the end of the book, and in verse number 20, he closes the book. And look how he closes. Now the God of peace, the God of that is the source of all peace. They need peace. They're struggling. They're hurting. Now the God who grants peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood. Just stop there. How did he bring him up? 
Very graphic. From the dead. Through the blood of the eternal covenant. This is our Lord Jesus. Now may He equip you, make you complete, verse 21. May He equip you in every good thing. Why? To do His will. Notice carefully. By working in us. You got that? You're not on your own. You're not an island. You're not just a, a self-disciplined person who says, okay, I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning I'm going to, I'm going to really study the book of Hebrews. You know, I'm going to do this. I, 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 I. But notice the incredible work of the triune God. And the work here is that in you at work is God himself so that you are pleasing in his sight. This is through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I urge you, brothers, accept this word of exhortation. Accept it. Bear with it. Put up with it. And this word of exhortation, same words that you find in Acts chapter 13, where Paul is sitting there in a synagogue, and they say, please, come give us a word of exhortation. So basically, Hebrews is probably a group of sermons that this author has preached on a number of occasions, how deep it is, how powerful it is, including all 35 of the direct quotations of the Old Testament text. I mean, he has put this together in a wonderful way. But notice what he says at the end. It's not just a sermon. It's something that I have written to you. Briefly. So the, a group of sermons that he has coalesced together that he's shaped and worked on, that he's used a number of times, and now he puts it into writing, and under the direction of the Holy Spirit, it is now being sent to people who are in a crisis of faith, the chaos of the culture, and the hatred of Jesus Christ. And some are saying, it's now too much. It's too much. Okay, let's go back. Chapter 12. This is the text we read. This is the text. Now faith, you understand what faith is, brothers and sisters? Faith has an intellectual component. Something to believe. Something to wrap our minds around. But that's not salvation. Just because you know facts about Jesus doesn't mean you're saved. Because there's a second level to this. There's agreement to those facts. Jesus came into this world to say, sinners of whom I am chief. So there's agreement to those facts. But even agreement to the facts doesn't mean that you're saved. There's a third level. And this is the level that needs to touch every one of us as, as believers in Christ. And that's this. There's the knowledge, and then there's the agreement, and then there is the surrender to those facts. That's what Romans 10.9 says. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That is salvation. That's it. So when I look at chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, 
We, I was 11 one, I'm sorry, I was in 11 one, now 12 one. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses around us, people who have understood what faith is. In fact, 19 times in chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith. 19 times in chapter 11, it's going to say, by faith, da da da, by faith, da da da, by faith, da da da. People who have content from God, agree to what God said, and then surrender to it. Noah, build an ark. Never seen a flood. Knowledge, agreement, surrender to. Since we are surrounded by this incredible group, and can I say this to you? I, I, I hear people talk about a stadium, and you have these little, these people of faith of the Old Testament out there playing on the field, and and uh, and we are, are us, and the people of faith are in the are in the stands. That's that's us, and so we are looking down, saying, "Hey, this, what a great job!" No, 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 no. You see, who is the actor, and who are the spectators? The spectators are not the Old Testament saints in chapter eleven. Spectres actually are us. It's us looking at their lives going, wow, look what Noah did through faith. Enoch, he's just walking with God. He says, come on. You see, it's very important. The spectator is us. We are, our eyes are open. Our ears are open. We're surrounded by this incredible cloud around us of these Old Testament saints. So what do we do? Because of that, we're laying aside every weight. That's not a sin, but something that's holding you back. People making wrong decisions was because in chapter five, they have not had their senses to discern between good and evil, so they're picking something. Well, it's not evil, so it must be good, but their senses have not been exercised by the word, so they're making wrong decisions. Lay aside every weight. And sin that grapples with us, entangles us, and then let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on you. One of the most incredible statements is that one, because in one B, it says we are to run the race that's set before us. It's a divine passive where you have the course laid out by God himself. It's set before us. But here's the problem. We can't even see outside these doors. So our course is laid out before us. So he said, he doesn't say here in verse 2a, fix your eyes on the course because your course in five hours could take a sharp left and you never anticipated it. Your course in two years could take a sharp right and you never saw that one coming. So what does he say? Most amazing thing, not fix your eyes on the course, fix your eyes on Jesus. Who is the author, the initiator, as well as the one who perfects your faith. And look at him, who for the joy set before him, all right, God laid it out, Acts 2, for him. What did he endure? The cross? The cross? Really? Scorning the shame? Of the cross. And then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All throughout the text. You're going to see at the right hand of the throne. That's how how Hebrews opens up. 
After he purged our sins, one, three. After he purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hallelujah. That's where my Christ is. And if I'm in Christ, guess where I am? Guess where you are? Brothers and sisters, the book of Hebrews is writing to people who are facing the chaos of culture and facing people who hate Jesus Christ and our Christ is reigning right now. Why don't you just... Did he do that with me? No. No. So what does he say do? Verse 3, I want you to contemplate him. I want you to consider him. Take your eyes off of the chaos of culture. Take your eyes off the hostility and hatred of those around you for my name. And you consider Jesus, who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. But it's not your power. We saw that in chapter 13. It's that which is working in us. It's the submission and the surrender that I have in my life of faith, surrendering constantly to the will and the direction of God because it's always going to be opposite of what I think. We pray, and we know God wants us to have that new car. We know that. We're confident of it, aren't we? The first foreign missionaries from America left the shores here, February 19, 18, 12, for India. Their names, Adnarm and Ann Judson. Little did they know their lives were destined for Myanmar. Back in those days it was called Burma. Very good. Little did they know They're heading to India, and God's going to have them take a sharp turn, and they're going to end up in Burma. Who would want to go there? Their path would slog through suffering and anguish and death. Courtney Anderson vividly writes about their hardships in her book, To the Golden Shore. If you ever want to pick up a book and read it, I'm just telling you, just get ready. Three of their children die in infancy. Judson is imprisoned and tortured beyond human imagination for 20 months and horribly dies on October 24th, 1826 after battling months of stress and disease. After Anne's death, Adoniram lived in despair on the mission field for four years. He seemed to lose his spiritual footing. He who was known for his tidiness and cleanliness dug a grave in a lion-infested jungle, sat beside that grave, stared into it, and contemplated the stages of his wife's death, her body, its decay, and all of its gruesome detail. He wrote on the third anniversary of Anne's death these words, quote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, I just can't find him. Though God's grace eventually rescued and restored the spirit and mission of Ananarim, quote, sadness shadowed his spirit, end quote. However, God still had another 20 years of productivity for him. Without realizing his path of suffering prepared him for an extraordinary, extraordinary ministry in Burma until he died April 12, 1850 at the age of 62. 
Before Adoniram and Anne arrived in Burma, there were no known Christians at his death. They have counted over 200,000 believers. They were studying a Bible in their own language because he tirelessly worked on the translation of the Scripture and through suffering produced it. Their intense suffering was God's platform to display his love to the Burmese people. When Adonim and a small army of missionaries began that fifth year after Anne's death, he writes, everyone in Burma seems to want to learn of this new gospel. The heartaches of Adonim and Anne became the soil in which thousands of Burmese were planted for Jesus Christ. The plan of God is now clear. Out of severe trials of God's two servants, an entire nation of Burma is introduced to the love of God in Christ Jesus. Period. So when I read to you, brothers and sisters, seeing that we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight, and the sin that so easily entangles you. Let us run with endurance the race that God has already mapped out before us. But fix your eyes on Jesus. You okay? Would you stand with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed. It could very well be that there is someone here who does not honestly know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You you have facts. You might even agree to those facts. You're here today, (laughs) Resurrection Sunday. But you've never surrendered your heart to that. So would you like to do that? In your heart, can you just say, God... this is all for me. His blood for me, the cross for me. And so I give you, I give you my heart. Would you become a brother, a sister today in the family of God? Would you do that? Maybe you're here today and if you look at your life and you really honestly evaluate, you have been drifting. You're not where you were five years ago, three years ago, two years ago, last week. Maybe you've been stiff-arming. Maybe you've been distracted and you're kind of like that straggling sheep back here. A lamb of Jesus, but in tremendous danger. Can you make your decision at this time. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for the body. (laughs) It's not a building. It's a body. Thank you for Christ's gift to us and Pastor Brent. I pray that you would help us to keep persevering until the end, as it says in Hebrews. Roll up our sleeves and minister and serve going hard after Jesus Christ. 
going hard after one another. God, I pray that today on this Convocation Sunday that they would just catch a glimpse. There's so many things happening here on this campus. So many things happening. But yet there's so many things happening in each one life that's here too. In their home, at their work. Things that only they know about, you know about. Would you help them, Lord, to let their light shine before the people in their workplace? Let their light shine before their neighbors. Let their light shine so that they will look and see these amazing, God-ordained, God-sourced works and turn their eyes to God himself. It's an amazing thing that you've done for us, Lord. It's called amazing grace. Help us to stand bold in grace.